teaching today. Uh, I've been looking forward to this day uh, for uh, just since we put it on the calendar maybe about a month and a half ago. Uh, because for those who know Tim, Tim's um, and his wife Julie and his family, they're members here. Uh, they uh, host and lead an MC, a missional community together. Um, and uh, those who know Tim probably know he's probably never claim to be a public speaker or to be a public orator or anything of that kind. He does IT, you know. Um, and uh, But at the same time, it was maybe about a year ago, he came up and said, hey, if there was ever an opportunity to teach on forgiveness and reconciliation, I feel moved enough by the Spirit of God that I would be willing to overcome all fears and, and teach on that. Um, and I was really excited to finally get this chance to just have a time where we're away from a series to have him teach on that because uh, I also have seen Tim shepherd people and I've seen him walk alongside people and even shepherd myself and walk alongside myself in different times and seasons and even in this season times with forgiveness and reconciliation and I know it's something that both uh, for him, for Julie, for their family, it's something that they have lived and it's something that they have uh, truly walked out in not just something that they know in theory, but something they've experienced in reality, the freedom of releasing for, uh, bitterness and, and stepping into forgiveness and, and truly allowing the cross to be powerful enough to not just forgive ourselves, but those who have wronged us as well. So this is something, as I said, I've been looking forward to, um, and I'm excited for Tim to come forward and, and to share this morning. So with that, Um, yeah, so like Kent said, I am uh, Tim Landrum. Uh, thank you for that introduction. I really appreciate it because I don't like public speaking. Um, <laughs> once I get above about five people, I tend to withdraw and back off and uh, let other people take the lead. So um, like Kent said, I did ask for this, which... Once it was kind of, you know, chiseled in stone, I kept on thinking, why did I ask for this? And I'm still really not completely sure. Um, but yeah, I don't like getting up in front of people and talking that much. Uh, <laughs> my family knows that, so they all came here to watch me suffer. Um, but I will, I will uh, say thank you, Kent, for having this uh, be on the last Sunday of the year so that uh, we can end with whatever is going to happen, and uh, so that I only have to do this once because there's only the once the one uh, service today. Um, yeah, so I am going to talk about forgiveness. Um, if you know me, if you've suffered through any of uh, our MC sessions, or if we've talked one on one, you know I can be prone to rabbit trails. So I try to have a lot of notes um, so that I don't wander off. Uh, down some other aisle and end up talking about something completely unrelated. Um, yeah, I, I described it the other day to Kent, like one of those fancy soda fountains that doesn't work right and you hit the flavor and get the wrong thing. That's, so that's how, I'm a, that's how I'm concerned that I'm going to uh, come off today. Um, so, yeah. Um, okay, so forgiveness. Um, I always like to start by defining the term. Um, so I did what everybody does. I googled it and went to the first link and it fit what I wanted to say. So uh, we'll go with that. So um, forgiveness as the dictionary definition is to cease to feel resentment against an offender. Um, it's also to give up resent resentment and a claim to requital. A claim to punish back. A claim to be the one that defines the consequences. Uh, in the financial terms, it's to grant relief and payment of a debt. Um, so forgiveness is balancing the books. It's balancing the books by writing off a debt, not by saying, I'm going to give you 50% off. It's a whole. I like to think of it as a binary thing, as a one and a zero, when Christ died and it says he forgave, like he died once for all. He forgives everybody. Uh, it's a one and a one, and there's nothing left. One being the whole, the sum um, of 
all sin. Uh, with forgiveness, there's no reforce, there's no forcing of payment to bring an account into balance, right? I'm not asking for something back. I am giving forgiveness. I'm wiping everything away. So forgiveness isn't something that when you receive it, you have to earn. It's something that you have to accept. It's something the other person is doing, or I am doing for the other person, and they don't need to do anything to get it, right? Um, in a, a legal sense, and very much in the relational sense, as we make judgments on other people, it's giving up our right to punish the crime. Um, there's no longer resentment for the criminal. There's no longer enmity between me and you. I have removed that on my side and said, it's, it's gone. I'm wiping it away. Uh, in giving up resentment, it's a letting go of the negative emotion, emotions that we have. Right, the enmity, that's what it means. It means we're at odds. It means I have anger, I have hatred, I have disgust, I have whatever toward you. Um, so I'm giving those up. I'm letting those go. I'm not going to hold on to them. Uh, so in that way, it's a choice to value the person over the crime. Um, yeah, I also talk to my hands a lot. So if you're listening later, on the podcast, you're not going to see any of that, which it doesn't often add to what I say, but it gives my hands something to do instead of like grabbing my pants. So, um, yeah. So, valuing the person over the crime. And it's also, when we're doing it personally, it's valuing the person over our feeling of hurt, our feeling of sadness, our feeling of abandonment, rejection, embarrassment, whatever it is. Uh, and in that, it gets into that it's a matter of the heart. Forgiveness involves deep emotions that we feel, um, ways that we've been wronged. Uh, it involves our personal history, and it involves our self-worth. Um, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Reconciliation, if you want to think of it in accounting terms, it is a balancing of accounts, but when you go and nobody reconciles our checkbook anymore because we don't write a lot of checks, but when you go through your bank statement, or you go through your credit card statement or whatever, and you look and you say, well, I spent this and I paid, I paid that much for it, and I gotta make sure these charges match up. And if you, uh, like Julie and I do, we use like an envelope system where we like put money in the envelope for food, then we take money out of the envelope for food, and uh, that one's almost always in the negative. And so then to reconcile that, we gotta take some money from somewhere else and bring it up. We are repaying that debt because there's a negative. That's reconciliation. Um, it is that process of removing enmity on both sides and restoring friendly relations. Forgiveness doesn't always involve both sides because it's my decision, it's what I'm doing on my side. Um, forgiveness does not mean that reconciliation has occurred. Forgiveness very often has reconciliation as the goal because why am I going to wipe out that debt why am I going to strike it off the books uh, if I don't want restoration of relationship? Um, reconciliation almost always requires forgiveness at some level. And the more complete we forgive, the more complete that forgiveness is, and the more whole that work is, the more complete the reconciliation is that we can have with each other. Um, and that is at all levels. Uh, reconciliation, I guess, just to make sure to define that. Um, so that's to restore friendship or harmony, to reconcile differences. Um, it's to make things consistent and congruous. Um, that always makes me think of those YouTube videos for uh, like OCD people where it's like gears coming together perfectly or like things fitting together just exactly like they should, if you've ever seen those pop up, um, but to make them fit together. Um, another definition is to cause to submit or accept something unpleasant, uh, which I think that very much helps understand the, um, the role forgiveness has in it. Because when we reconcile, very, very often and almost always, if you're talking in the terms of relationships between people, um, when you reconcile, 
it, it's never striking off somebody's debt because they're the only one that's caused harm and done damage. There's always mistakes on both sides. There's always hurt that we levy against each other um, and hurt that we feel toward the other person, and both people have work to do in that, and so we're both accepting something unpleasant. Um, yeah. So forgiveness, uh, I think for everybody, is important, but for believers, for Christians, for people that know Christ, it's even more important. Um, I like to think of forgiveness um, very much in how it's important is because it's, it's rooted in the cause and effect of original sin and in the resolution of the curse, right? So everybody knows, well, maybe you don't know, but the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, the snake comes along and tempts Eve and says, hey, if you go eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil, right? We no longer have to look to God to tell us what's right and what's wrong. You're going to know that for yourself. And that's going to make you like God. You won't need him anymore. Um, so we ate the apple. We're all born into this world thinking, I know what's right. I know what's wrong. People don't need to tell me that. God doesn't need to tell me that. I don't need to look to him to define it. Um, we know what's best. We know what's good. We know what's evil. Um, we think we know what the price for a crime should be. We think we know what is due someone else when they hurt me. Um, we, know how other, we know how bad other people's mistakes are. Uh, we know how terrible their crimes are, and we know how they should have to pay for them. Uh, we also know how bad our own crimes are, and that maybe they're worse than everybody else thinks, or maybe they're not that bad at all. Maybe it's not really bad for me to behave this way, but I'm going to judge you for behaving that way. Uh, we have our values all messed up. Um, I, I, if you think of it as we think that things are valuable because we think that those things are valuable. Uh, it should be the other way around. Um, we're supposed to look to God for the value of things. Right? We are supposed to think that things are valuable, that things are good or things are bad, because that is what God has said. That's what God has instituted. We're supposed to look to him for that definition. Um, and our hearts are part of this. This isn't just a mental thing. Um, if, I, if I'm prone to anything, it's prone to living in my head and just kind of going with my thoughts and not giving these things out, not being in touch with my heart. But my heart is a part of this. My heart doesn't respond in the way that God really would like it to. My heart doesn't respond to something with the kind of value that God has for it. My heart responds in broken ways. My heart gets hurt when people do things to me that really aren't that bad, right? My heart can be hurt when someone does something where there's no intent for them to cause harm. When they do something where there is no desire to have me feel bad, but I can take it the wrong way, I can choose to value it how I want to value it and not how God would have me value that. I can do that with compliments. I've done that probably 50 times this morning as people said, oh, no, you're going to do great. You're going to be fine. Um, and I say, oh, no, I'm really nervous. Uh, let's just ask. Just We'll see afterwards how it went. Right? I'm going to make my own judgment about that and about how people are going to receive what I have to say. Um, and that's important. Original sin and the idea that the world is not how it's supposed to be. I'm not how I'm supposed to be. And my value judgments that I make is not the way, or are not the way that they are supposed to be. Supposed to look to God for all those things is, is very important. Um, so, um, wait, sorry, checking my, uh, checking my notes. Um, when we hold on to unforgiveness, right, when we choose, we, we make that value judgment, sometimes which is correct because we've legitimately been hurt, been mistreated, been abused by people. Um, we align our hearts and our decisions against Christ's work on the cross, right? Christ died once for all sins. That's Hebrews 10. Uh, he took the debt 
that was due on God's cosmic ledger and wiped it out, right? He didn't say, give me something to pay for that, right? The, the, the whole, uh, like, Mosaic law and the institution of the sacrifices is to show us what's due, right? What is due for our sins, right? So Christ gets on the cross. He dies once for all. He takes all of that and wipes it out. There's a one in the column over here that represents everything, right? One as a as 100%. And he doesn't write point nine nine over here. He writes a one, cancels it out. Uh, when we're holding on to unforgiveness, we are standing in opposition to that reality, right? Which is the the most like like that is the foundation of our faith, right? Is that Christ came and Christ died and He died for all sin. When we hold on to unforgiveness, we stand against that. We align ourselves against it. Um, Christ's sacrifice is rooted in the true knowledge of good and evil. It's rooted in the true value of who we are and how bad our sins are and what is required for them, right? Death is required for them, and not just death, because the wages of sin is death, and we're all going to die. We're all going to suffer those immediate physical consequences for original sin, for our sin. Um, but Christ knew the real value, and the value was you can't even pay for it by dying because, well, you can't pay for it by dying, but then you're dead. Uh, it has to be paid by something more than that. Um, it has to be paid by someone who came, who didn't sin, who had no reason to be up on the cross, who had... Uh, yeah, no reason at all. Uh, that's what it took. Um, and he knew it, and he understood that comparison. He understood that value, and he paid it in full. And that act makes reconciliation with God the Father possible, right? Christ built the bridge across that chasm that separated man from God. Um, every blessing, every gift, everything we receive from God, everything we've been promised, everything we've already received, all of that is because of forgiveness. None of it's there without it, right? Our adoption into God's family, our completeness in Christ, our sainthood, uh, all of those things that Scripture says, this, like, in Christ, if you know Christ, this has occurred. All of that is because of forgiveness. It doesn't happen without it. Um, Unforgiveness stands in opposition to all of those things. Love your enemies. I can't love my enemy if I don't extend the same love that Christ extended to us, that the Father extended to us, because we were enemies of God. Before and outside of Christ, we are enemies to God. We are in the opposition camp, in the war that's being waged. Bless those who curse you. Bless those who persecute you. How can you bless them? if you are holding on to that debt and you're saying, no, there's something for you to repay. Thanks. Yeah, I asked for, pe I asked for amens and feedback and stuff because <laughs> if, I, if I don't get it, then I'll just start to try to fill the space with the other things that are popping into my head. Um, and you won't get the soda that you tried to choose. Um, yeah. Um, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's one of my, not one of, that is my favorite promise that God gives us. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It has been wiped out. Um, I can't live my life and adopt an attitude of unforgiveness and hold on to unforgiveness and stand in opposition to that without standing in opposition to the cross and all of those blessings. Um, sometimes we're unwilling to forgive ourselves. We are, when we do that, when we want to value our sins more highly than we value Christ's work on the cross, we're resisting the judgment that God has made about us. In Christ, the judgment is not death. In Christ, the judgment is not condemnation. It's no condemnation. It's adoption, it's acceptance, it's completeness and wholeness and all of those things. Um, God forgave us 
through the work of Christ on the cross. And God was completely aware of the extent and weight of our sins. Um, there's nothing else that has to be paid. Christ isn't getting back on the cross to bring more forgiveness because I think my sin is too great or too bad or uh, any of that. Uh, when we're unwilling to forgive ourselves, we're telling God that he was wrong about the sacrifice that was, raised, that was made. It requires more. It wasn't quite enough to balance out those accounts. You didn't really wipe everything away. There's still something left. Uh, that's toward ourselves. When we aren't forgiving others, we're turning that judgment back on them. We're saying, they're so bad. They're so wrong. Their sin is so great. Your forgiveness was not enough. Um, so, Scripture calls us to forgive. We are supposed to forgive. We see it in the Sermon on the Mount, right? The core of Christ's teaching. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Pardon as I pardon. Forgive as I forgive. Um, in the same spirit, to the same extent. Um, we're supposed to follow Christ's example. We're supposed to keep in mind how he accounted for sin, right? The equation that he used, which is, I love the person more than the crime. I love that person more than my feelings of hurt, than my feelings of anger, uh, whatever it is that we hold on to that sometimes protects us, sometimes makes us feel better, but keeps us from extending forgiveness and stepping into that truth and living into that. Um, we're called to forgive. I, I keep in mind the parable of the, uh, I can't remember what it's called, the parable of the wicked servant, whatever, Matthew 18. But it's the servant and the king, and the king is going through his, going through his ledger, he's going through his books, and he's like, oh, i got to reconcile all these debts to all of my servants, to all of my slaves. Make sure it's evened out. And he gets to one of them, and the guy comes before him, and it's the debts, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, like in today's money, it's $20 million. No way he can possibly repay it. It's lifetimes worth of work that he would have to do to repay that. Um, the king wipes it out, frees him completely. One minus one, zero, you're, you, you're completely free of your debt to me. The guy goes out, finds a guy that owes him money, and says, you owe me $5, you better pay it. The guy says, I don't have $5, I can't pay it, please have mercy on me. And he says, no, and he calls the cops, and the cops go, get the guy, throw him in a jail. The king hears about it, and he says, are you kidding me? I forgave $20 million. I could build a new palace with that. I could have done who knows what with it. But in, in, in light of that, you held on to this little grievance, this tiny thing, and are punishing somebody for it. The king says, I know what is right and wrong. I know the real value of that person's crimes and your crimes. And I know what it was worth to forgive. That's not your place to make that. Uh, thanks. Um, God's love toward us as people who have had those sins wiped out where the ledger has been cleared, should compel us toward forgiveness. That's what we forgive out of. Um, a really good example of that is in Luke 7 with the woman who comes and washes Christ's feet and anoints him with perfume and with her tears and dries them with her hair. And she comes in the middle of a dinner party. Uh, I think it's Simon the Pharisee or something like that. Uh, Christ is at a dinner party. The lady comes in. She breaks open this bottle of perfume, which you can't close when you break it open because it's a clay jar, right? So it's not like you can just, like, save it for later. She's going to use all of it. And she anoints Christ's feet, and Christ forgives her sins, and he says, and the, the core of it, he says, she's able to come in and do this because she's been forgiven, and so she's able to love out of that. If you, if you haven't been forgiven, which again, forgiveness is the acceptance 
Christ has done the work, we're accepting it. If you haven't accepted that, you don't have a lot to love out of because you don't know the extent of the love that was shown to you. Um, sorry. I'm going to get a drink of coffee. Because that's what I use to hydrate. <laughs> uh, so, forgiveness is vitally important, uh, both towards others and toward ourselves. And there's consequences if we don't. Um, just the fact that Christ's forgiveness is the most important act, the, the, the moment of, on the cross, all of history turns on that and revolves around it. We put ourselves in, in opposition to that, and we should expect that there are consequences. Um, so Ephesians 4, 26 to 32, um, and this is the truncated version, is the beginning of that passage. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. The end of, that's the cause. Our anger, our judgment, the feelings that come up, the hurt that arises, and what we do with it. The resolution to that is at the end of the passage. The attitude that we're supposed to maintain is in the middle of the passage. The resolution to it is at the end. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Adopt the attitude that Christ had. Along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also forgave you. I can't put those things away. I can't put away bitterness and wrath and anger and malice and slander, things I direct towards other people, um, the negative emotions that we're trying to resolve with forgiveness. I can't put them away if I'm not forgiving. I have to be tenderhearted. I have to soften my heart toward the other person because that's what Christ did to me. That's what Christ's work on the cross did, allowed the Father to soften his heart to us. Um, so when we get angry, because anger and forgiveness, I think, are very closely tied together. Um, when we get angry, we don't really have to sin, but we very often do. Uh, it's a natural response, right? Anger is a natural response to experiencing something that is not good, something that's not right, one of those incongruous things that happens to us. How am I on time, Ken? Okay, good. I have no idea how long I've been talking. Uh, so... Um, that's, that's anger. That's those emotions that come up. And it's not just anger. It's sadness. It is hurt. It is pain. It's, it's all of those things that we feel. Um, we might be completely correct how we feel, right? Oftentimes, I'm, I'm probably not correct in how I feel because I get upset and hurt about trivial things. Um, as I glance at my wife, she knows this well. Um, but regardless, when I sit and I let it stew, and I don't get rid of it, I'm letting that wound fester, right? Because in relationships, that other person has cut us. They've cut us, and we're bleeding. Um, and doing that, I give my adversary, the devil, a foothold in my heart. Uh, one of the other translations of the word opportunity that you see in Ephesians is foothold. Um, We give a foothold, we give an advantage to our adversary who is waging a war against us, right? Christ is going to come back and reconcile all things and his kingdom is going to be fully established, but we still live in a world that is in the kingdom of darkness. Um, my wife likes John Eldridge. John Eldridge likes to say the kingdom of heaven is invading this world. That's the state of the war, is Christ bringing, bringing his kingdom. Um, so we've given our enemy and advantage in the war against us. Um, that's expressed again in 2 Corinthians 2, 10, and 11. Uh, for indeed, if what I have forgiven, and Paul is talking about uh, an incident in the church where the church is choosing to extend forgiveness, and he is extending forgiveness along with them. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. 
Um, if you didn't know that holding on to anger and resentment and bitterness is a tactic that our enemy uses against us, know it now. Um, don't be ignorant of the war that's being waged against us. And this is one of the core things, uh, one of the core tactics that's used because it gets us to go back and fall back onto that original temptation. You're going to know what's good. You're going to know what's bad. You're going to know what judgment to make. You know how to value things. You don't need God to do that. Um, so what is a foothold? Um, and the example that was given to me, um, a physical example, uh, was the guy that was teaching me a lot of this stuff said, I'm going to go stand on the other side of the door. It's going to be open. I'm coming in to invade your house. I want you to close it in my face. Push it as hard as you can. It's your door. It's your house. Close it. So I slammed it closed in his face. He said, I'm going to do it again, but this time I'm going to stick my foot in the, in the door. Right? And I want you to try to close it. Don't hold back. Do it as hard as you can. I got on thick shoes. Um, so go ahead and do it. So tries to step through the door. I try to close the door. He sticks his foot in the door. The door doesn't close, right? You can't close the door when someone's foot is stuck in it. You can slam it. You can strain. You can grunt. You can do whatever. But the door is still open. It's not closed. It's not locked. It's not secure. Um, that's a foothold. Uh, you can think of all other kinds of examples of footholds. Um, but that's the one that really stuck for me. Um, so I'm giving the enemy an open door into my life to sow lies that are sitting very well with the lie that I already believe, that I know what's right and I know what's wrong, and that I know the proper value of things, uh, completely in line with my flesh, with the way that I've figured to work life out outside of God. Uh, I'm letting the enemy in to sow lies, create discord, uh, wreak havoc, build strongholds, um, a foothold in the metaphor of wounding uh, is that a wound can't heal when it's full of dirt and it's full of infection, right? Like, it's not going to heal well. If you have a splinter in your finger, it's not going to heal until the splinter comes out, right? Um, so the dirt has to be cleaned out. The infection has to be removed. It has to be lanced. It has to be pushed out, all that gross medical stuff. Um, so sometimes we forgive for big things and small things. We have all kinds of things happen to us. Something that's important for me to keep in mind when it comes to forgiveness is that Christ understands the wounds that we have, all of them, the big ones and the small ones. Uh, Christ, when he came and he lived here, he had every right to be angry with the world around him. The world exists in a constant state of rebellion. And he would have been completely justified in his anger. Uh, in addition to suffering, the most unjust death in all of history. He was fully human and would have experienced all of the slights and hurts and annoyances and attacks and deprivations that we encounter. He grew up in poverty. He was part of an oppressed people. He was probably mocked and belittled because everybody around him thought they knew the truth about the unseemly circumstances of his birth. Uh, he would have had all the normal kind of frustrations that he has with parents who are uh, normal people broken people, limited people, sinful people. Um, he encountered all the limits of his own humanity. Hunger, tiredness, exhaustion. Um, and then he surrounded himself with the disciples who uh, in the Gospels are not paragons of maturity. Um, they're pretty dense at times. They're pretty, peddly, they're pretty petty. They get it wrong. They ask stupid questions um, over and over again. After he demonstrates his power to exponentially multiply small quantities of food, they get into a boat, and the disciples go, oh, no, we've only brought one loaf of bread. And they're concerned about where they're going to get more. Um, as a parent of small children, those responses sound really familiar to me. That behavior sounds really familiar to me. I'm sure it's familiar to my parents also. Um, he's regularly and publicly attacked by the religious leaders. 
He's lied to and abandoned and betrayed by his friends. He's accused of false crimes. He's beaten, mocked, he's tortured publicly, all before being falsely convicted by a foreign coward, and he's condemned by a crowd that's made up of the people that just welcomed him into the city as a king, people who had probably seen his miracles and heard his teaching, who are now chanting that he be presented with one of the most gruesome deaths that humans have been able to come up with. Um, he suffers a slow and shame, shameful and agonizing death in the presence of his enemies who are still mocking him in front of his mother and his friends who he gets to watch them witnessing his own death. And he gets to see their grief and their despair as their hopes are crushed. And then he dies. He went into that knowing this is worth us. That we are really worth that much. Um, so he knows. And in Hebrews, we're told this. He knows and he understands, and that makes him an acceptable sacrifice and an acceptable high priest of Benadonis to reconciliation. Hebrews 2, 18 and 19, he had to be made like all his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation means atonement. Um, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he was able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And again in 4, 15 and 16, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne so that we may receive mercy and find grace in help. Uh, find grace to help in time of need. Um, I like to make sure that I know that and understand that and keep that in my heart because Christ is forgiving out of that. He's forgiving out of the same kind of annoyances and frustrations when I have to forgive my kids who are doing things that are completely irrational and have no explanation, and they're doing them anyways over and over and over again, and they're incredibly trivial, and it drives me crazy. I forgive out of that when I forgive someone who has hurt me and abandoned me and wounded me and just destroyed me. Christ knows all of those things. Um, I really like Neil Anderson. He's a counselor and writer... Uh, yeah, um, Biola, I think, um, out in California. He wrote a book called The Bondage Breaker. It's had a huge impact in my life. So when I talk about how, how do we forgive, uh, I'm not just borrowing very heavily from him. A lot of it is just verbatim. Um, I appreciate that when he talks and when he writes, he says, this isn't from me either. This is from God. This is God's message. It's it is fully based in Scripture. It's what he's giving to us, and we're just repeating it. That's why when, you know, I don't know, when you pray for somebody that's going to teach, you say it. You want it to be God's words and not ours, because, um, you know, we contextualize what he says, but we want to repeat what he said. Um, so, anyways, so the Bondage Breaker has a model for forgiveness, so I'm going to work primarily from that. Um, and Dr. Anderson says uh, several things about forgiveness, what forgiveness really is. So the first is forgiveness is an act of will. It's our decision. Christ's work on the cross and our rebirth and life in him gives us the ability and authority to forgive. It gives us the ability and the authority to make that decision. Um, and it's abundantly clear in Scripture that we're called and required to be forgiving. Um, we would not be required to do something that we're incapable of. We're all capable of it. We have to choose to do it. Just like we have to choose to accept forgiveness that's extended to us, we have to choose to extend it to others, and it is a decision of our will. Uh, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgive and forget. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase. I've heard it. Uh, I heard it for a long time, and it wasn't ever explained, but I feel like it's often misused because I'm just supposed to forgive, and then all that pain just needs to, it's just going to be gone. Um, when scripture says that God is going to forget our sins, it's not saying it's wiped from his memory. It's talking about that wiping out. 
of the account. Um, God won't use our past against us. That's what's being forgotten. Uh, our sins won't be counted against us. Forgetting can be a long-term consequence of forgiveness as we're working through the pain, as we are releasing anger and resentment and bitterness. Uh, but it's really hard to forget someone, or it's really hard to forget something done to us if we're not willing to wipe out that debt. We're going to come back to it every time I look at the ledger that's in my heart, uh, because love doesn't keep an account of wrongs done, but my heart does a lot, regularly, down to the pen. Um, and I can't just forget those things. Um, I need to forgive first and then let healing come and then getting past the pain and no longer living in that. Um, yeah, once you choose to forgive someone, then Christ will begin to heal those wounds. And we don't heal in order to forgive, we forgive in order to heal. Forgiveness is also agreeing to live with the consequences of another person's sins, whether they apologize or not. So we're already all living with this. Right? The world is saturated with the consequences of other people's sins. In many ways, and in most ways, our lives are shaped by the consequences of other people's sins. Right? Everything what was set up for us before we were even born, directly and indirectly, personally and impersonally. So living with the consequences of other people's sins is inevitable. We're already doing it. So the question is whether we're doing it in bondage to bitterness, in bondage to anger, in bondage to all of those negative emotions, or if we're living in the freedom that comes from forgiveness that's already been extended to us by Christ that we are asked to extend to others. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Christ, who was sinless, died and became sin on our behalf. He was willing to accept the consequences of others' sins. And in doing that, he makes forgiveness just the choice to wipe it out. He makes that morally and legally right. And he asks us to forgive in the same way. Um, uh, for me, an example from my life, um, one time I got hit by a truck. And I always say that, and then I explain it, and it's really more I hit a truck when I was riding my bike, but it, I, it was not my fault. I was on a diagonal road, and so a lot of the turns are very wide, and you can take them fast, and a lady tried to pass me, and didn't really fully pass me, but then turned anyways, and I skid and ran into the back of her truck, bounced off of it, fell, hit my arm really hard. Um, she was very aggressive toward me, blaming me, but not wanting to call the cops, which didn't make any sense since there was a dent in the back of her truck that she was going to now have to get fixed. Because she obviously knew she'd done something. She'd wronged me. She'd cut me off, caused me to crash, caused me to hurt my arm, and was unwilling to accept her responsibility. Um, God, as clearly as he's told me anything, told me, forgive. You just need to forgive and go. Because I was starting to get into it with her. And so I said, I forgive you, and then I left. My arm was hurt. Part of that got healed very directly. Um, another part of that, he did not. Uh, my elbow will pop sometimes. Uh, and, and kind of sort of lock up sometimes, which means in like 25 years, it's, it's going to be a real problem. Right now, it's not that bad. Um, but I'm living the consequence of that person's sin, and my forgiveness has to come in agreement with that, that what they did was wrong, their attitude toward me, and not wanting to admit fault, not wanting to admit that they had hurt me was wrong, and I have to let that go because if I if I live in bitterness with that if I don't forgive every time I drive down that road it's going to come up it's going to come up again and I'm going to feel angry but the lady is not there for me to go off on so I'm going to go home and go off on my kids or go off on my wife 
right? It's going to come back out. Um, when Christ appears to Thomas in John 27, uh, the wounds that he suffered are real. He's had the consequences for our sin. In Revelation 5, John has a vision of the throne room of God, and he sees the lamb, and he sees the lamb, and the lamb is described as if slain. Christ is still in his body, in his form, that has taken on death and sin for us. And he's agreed to live with that. Full reconciliation and rebirth, new bodies, new heaven, new earth will come. But right now, that's where we're living. Um, so this is from my wife, because she's really wise. And she several times said, you need to make sure to talk about this. Um, part of that, when someone has sinned against us and isn't apologetic, they're not seeking forgiveness. Our tendency is to want to hold on to a false sense of justice. But in holding on to it, unforgiveness is only hurting us. It isn't bringing them to justice, right? I don't have that power. It isn't making us any better. We're still trying, or we're still tying ourselves to them by the debt that's holding on to them, right? I'm still being controlled by them. Their sin against me still has control over me. It has control over my emotions because I choose not to forgive. Makes me angry, makes me reactive, makes me bitter, and it keeps me chained to my past. It gives them emotional control. It gives that sin emotional control over us. And practicing forgiveness gives us freedom from that control, even if the person that sinned against us is not repentant. Can't reconcile if that's not if that's the case but I can certainly release what I have to release. Um, Christ demonstrates this while he's on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't have any clue. Well, they know they're killing a man. They don't know what they're really doing. They don't know who they're really killing. They don't know how really bad this is. But I want you to forgive them for it anyways. Um, just the fact that we make our own value judgments. We don't go to God for all of those things, so that we all are still out of line with that. We don't right, really fully understand the depth and the breadth of God's love. Um, forgiving that person doesn't mean that they're no longer accountable to God for their sin. God has not taken them off of their hook. I'm taking them off of mine. I'm releasing them from that value judgment that I've made. I'm releasing them from the debt that they are, that they are owed to me. We have to trust that God will deal with them justly. Their fate is his prerogative, and it's something that's not ours to decide. Um, no matter how much we hurt, our Savior, who knows suffering, great and small, and who knows the depths of our hearts, forgave and calls us to do the same. Um, the Neil Anderson quote, to forgive is to set a captive free and then realize that you were the captive. It's my value judgment about somebody else's sin that's keeping me in chains not really doing much for them, unless I somehow have authority over them to throw them in jail or something. Um, so when we forgive, we forgive from the heart. Truly forgive someone, you have to acknowledge how we really feel toward them. I can't, I can't forgive you fully unless I'm really understanding and experiencing the real consequence of that sin. Um, Neil Anderson says forgiveness needs to touch the emotional core of our life. That's our hearts. Um, sometimes we are too afraid of the pain. We're too afraid of those memories, and so we bury those emotions. We bury them under a, langer, a layer of anger. Uh, you may have heard the, uh, uh, it's like a, a counseling uh, psychology quote that depression is anger turned inward, anger gone underground. We bury them underneath that. We bury them under multiple layers, like an onion. Um, the onion's not burying anything. The onion has multiple layers, just to make that clear. Um, yeah, so we're too afraid to let go of the anger because then the real emotion will come. Uh, we're angry because something made us feel a certain way, made us feel embarrassed or inadequate or violated or devalued. Um, but if we don't allow ourselves to feel that, if we don't allow ourselves to feel the hurt, forgiveness isn't going to be fully effective. Because I'm forgiving what was done to me, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm forgiving this damage. Um, 
We need to feel it. We need to give a name to it. Then we can forgive in truth. Because if not, we're still forgiving in a lie. Uh, forgiveness is choosing not to hold someone's sin against him or her. It's agreeing to live with the consequences of their sin, and then it's choosing not to hold it against them. So this is the relational, the real relational component. It has to do with how we act to that person in turn. When I've been hurt, I often want to make sure that the person who hurt me knows how I feel. My mind starts to fill up with all the things that that person has done to me in the past. Sometimes it starts to fill up with things that other people have done to me in the past that are similar to that. Sometimes not even similar. Sometimes I just get angry and it's just all rolling around in there. Um, But I want them to feel like I do. I want them to know how bad they've hurt me, how bad they've cut me. So, um, that's how we respond. We respond seeking vengeance, but vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Um, Choosing to not hold someone's sin against them doesn't mean that we give them access to sin against us again and again and again and allow them to continue to harm us. Uh, We need to set good scriptural boundaries to protect from further harm. And then we need to treat that person with grace and forgiveness because we're called to do that, to treat people with kindness, to be merciful as Christ was merciful. Um, but we don't need to give them access to damage us again. Uh, a good model for understanding this is the difference between transparency and vulnerability. Transparency is I'm giving you the truth about how I feel, about how you've hurt me. I'm being honest about that. Even if it's something trivial, I'm going to let you know how I still feel about it because uh, maybe it's not all your fault, but I need to be honest. I need to be transparent. But I'm not going to make myself vulnerable and hand you the knife so that you can just stick it back in me whenever you choose. Right? Transparency, vulnerability. I can't share that example. Um, I don't know. It was quite a while ago. That always stuck with me. Um, hydrate with coffee again while I collect my thoughts. Um, So when we forgive, we need to be honest about what's been done and how we feel. And then we're to move forward with kindness. Um, Christ, when he tells us to turn the other cheek, I don't want us to misunderstand that and think, well, that just means the counter, the opposite of what I just said. He's contrasting that directly with our desire for acts of vengeance. He says that right after he says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's not how we live. I'm not going back at them. But I I don't think that that means that I then just need to open myself and uh, expose myself to continuous attack from someone. And again, this is, uh, I take this all very much in relationship, when I'm dealing with forgiveness in relationship with other people, as opposed to when I'm being abused by an oppressor that I don't really have the ability to get away from. Um, So when we forgive, we should not wait. Don't wait until we feel like forgiving. Um, So oftentimes, we don't feel like forgiving. Um, You can't wait until you do, because you might never get there, right? And then we continue to live our lives in an incongruous way against Christ's work on the cross. Um, our hearts can be very hard, and there's no guarantee that my heart's going to soften toward that person. How am I on time, Ken? Oh, golly. Oh, I'm over. Um, sorry. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I've felt a strong desire to forgive. It's when I've been desperate for relationship to be restored. Um, when I've acted like that, bitterness and anger weren't in control, but I certainly was still covering up a lot of that. Um, so one of the really common misconceptions about forgiveness is that if I've prayed once to forgive, it's done. I'm done with it. That's not true. The real measure of forgiveness is when I'm no longer triggering on that sadness and anger, 
when I'm no longer triggering on the pain that comes from that wound, then I know that forgiveness has been complete and been whole. Um, one of the prime ways that I know if I have forgiveness in me is worked off is when I do trigger on something, when I have a disproportionate reaction to a situation, right? When, uh, for me, there's a fear of depression in other people, and when I see that, it brings out these big reactions from me. I mean, I, I don't necessarily blow up, but in my heart, things well up, and I start to get afraid because I've been hurt by that in the past because depression was a sign that something was horribly, horribly wrong. Um, when I feel that, I have to go back and forgive. Not the person that's showing me signs of depression right now, but the person that hurt me in the past when they exhibited that, and having a disproportionate reaction to what the situation is. Uh, forgiveness is a process that can take a long time to work through but it should be a continuous and daily practice. In the Lord's Prayer, Christ says, give us our daily bread, forgive us, and we forgive others. We do this every day, every day, because there's all of those slights that come at us and things that we misunderstand and ways people hurt us all the time, and because the wounds that we have are real and they're deep, and they need real healing. They need to be really cleaned out. Um, so, I'm going to end with how do we pray to forgive? Um, again, borrowed heavily from Neil Anderson, but, um, you know, yeah, it's, uh, I think, really important and really good. So when we pray to forgive, and I think this is something that's really done well in the presence of other people, to have people go through this with us, um, but we state that we choose to forgive. It's a choice of will. I don't want to forgive. I choose to forgive because I'm the one holding on to my ledger and I'm the only one that can make entries in it. We name the person who it is. Not just this event that happened, but the person that caused that event. What my anger, what my judgment is directed against. And we name what they did and we're specific about it. Not Oh, they behaved poorly. No, they hit me in the head with a brick. Um, and we name how it made us feel. And we need to be specific about that and honest about it. Um, I am an expert about stuffing emotions and denying that I have them. I like to say that up until I was about uh, 29 or so, I had two emotions. I got annoyed and I got frustrated, and that was it. It's not true. Um, we have to name them. We have to, we have to name how we feel. We have to be specific. Um, and then we state that we have a choice, that we're making a choice to give up the anger, to give up bitterness, and to give up our right for revenge, to give up our right to set the consequences. Um, we ask God to, in the absence of those things, step in and allow healing to occur. And something I like to do is I like to announce the freedom that I have in Christ. And I like to announce the promises that God has given me that stand counter to the lies that I experienced in the unforgiveness. Because I felt rejected. But I know that I'm fully accepted in Christ. Because I felt devalued. But Christ has given me immeasurable worth. That I was abandoned. But now I'm never going to be forsaken. And then we bless and we pray the person that hurt us. Bless those that curse you. Bless those that, that persecute you. Um, that's how we pray to forgive. Um, I will say forgiveness is, uh, yeah, takes a long time to work out. And dealing with those negative emotions, bringing those things up, um, that's something that very often we need to bring other people into, whether that is counseling and therapy, which are wonderful things and great things and things that I've done and benefited from a lot, um, or our brothers and sisters and our MCs, bringing other people into it helps expose those lies and helps give us the strength to forgive. Um, 
So I'm going to transition us into communion. And when we take communion, again, understand that every spiritual blessing that we have, everything that we're called to called into in Christ is because of that forgiveness. And when we go into communion, when we take the bread, when we take the wine, this is because Christ forgave us. And we're bringing ourselves in line with that reality by an act that we all do together. In forgiveness, we want to bring ourselves in line to that reality by what we choose to release and what we choose to wipe off of our books. Um, so there will be three stations for communion, gluten-free up here, and then one in the back, and one on the left. Um, and what else do I need to do? Okay. Oh, pray. Oh, all right. Well, yeah, then I'll pray for communion. There we go. Um, also, there will be people from the prayer team in the back. Um, like I said, bring other people into our need of forgiveness. Um, so, um, Lord Jesus, first, just thanks for getting me through this. And um, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you know all of the hurts and all of the slights that we encounter, that you have complete solidarity with us in that, and that that makes you um, a just and adequate priest to be able to then administer reconciliation between us and the Father. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood. Um, yeah. Amen. Thank you.